and welcome to the Living Well with Caitlin podcast. My name is Caitlin Sule. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a mom to three kiddos, a wife, and a practicing human being. I believe that therapy can go far beyond the room and that we should be having much more helpful, open, and honest conversations about mental and emotional health. In my practice, I specialize in helping people overcome their struggle with things like anxiety, depression, OCD, and to do the work of personal growth. I hope to share some skills, tools, and concepts with you that you'll be able to apply to your daily life to learn to live well with whatever struggle life throws your way. So I am here with Jill Stoddard and Jill, um, thanks for being on. I would love to just kind of, I already gave a formal introduction, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Of course. Well, first, thank you, Caitlin, for having me on. I love talking about this stuff on podcasts. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I specialize in the treatment of anxiety and related disorders. Um, I have a clinic called the Center for Stress and Anxiety Management, and we do all cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. But in addition to that, some of the other things I love doing, um, I also have a podcast called Psychologists Off the Clock. Um, I write, as you know, because we're going to talk a little bit about one of my books today. Um, And, you know, those are some of my favorite things to do, just talking to people about these things, writing about these things. And, um, you know, I think one of the greatest pieces about speaking publicly, podcasting, et cetera, is we get to reach a lot of people who otherwise might never set foot into a therapist's office, you know, either because they don't have the resources or, or desire. So that's a little bit about me. Yes. Yeah. So I love that. And, and, and being able to talk about it in this way too, I think we help break down the stigma around mental health and getting help for things like anxiety. So I, I love your work and I'm stoked to have you on, um, so why don't we kind of get started? Because I in talking about acceptance and commitment therapy, because that is ACT for short, right, is one of my um, favorite modes of therapy. I incorporate it into the work that I do um, in my practice and have talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but you're the expert here when it comes to ACT. So I would love to hear from you a little bit about like what ACT or sorry, ACT is. I know we're not supposed to call it ACT. That's huh? right. It's like a big no-no. <laughs> Um, I broke one of the act rules. I think the reason for that is <laughs> yeah, because tell me why. I don't, I, 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 get it. I don't know this for sure, but I think it's because a, the Academy of Cognitive Therapy is typically referred to as ACT. Got it. And so I think it's to differentiate that ACT from this act. Got it. Okay. That makes more sense to me. I was like, why is that a rule? Okay. So tell us then about <laughs> act and, and, uh, and how you use it to help specifically women who are struggling with anxiety. Yeah. Well, it is my favorite too. And when I was in graduate school, uh, my program was very heavily oriented toward traditional CBT. And over the years, um, my focus clinically, you know, it's sort of, um, I used to do very heavy CBT and a little bit of ACT. And over the last 20 years, that has really, um, that balance has really shifted in the other direction. And the reason for that primarily is I live ACT in my own life. Mm -hmm. And I just fully credit it for having an incredible life and not a pain-free life. I mean, things have been extremely difficult, especially now we're recording this in the midst of the pandemic. But even outside of that, you know, it's not about making life 
easier, but it's about really being able to feel alive and like live a big, bold life, even in the midst of chaos and struggle that is just part of the deal if you're going to walk through the world as a human being. Uh, yes. Yeah. So the, so the way I like to define ACT is that the primary goal is to increase psychological flexibility. And all that means is our ability to show up to this present moment with everything inside of our skin, like thoughts and emotions and physical sensations and urges, and to be open, to be aware of those experiences, open to them fully and without defense. So basically, we're not doing anything to push them away or avoid them or minimize them. And then making conscious, deliberate choices to act in ways that are values consistent. And the way I refer to it in the book is the me I want to be. So what do you want to be doing? Like, what do you want to stand for? What do you want your life to look like? And what are more importantly, what are the qualities that you want to embody as you do that? Yeah. And that's it in a nutshell. And then there are six core processes that facilitate the growth of psychological flexibility over time. Okay. So first tell us the name of your book and we'll go into it, into that more, but tell, and then tell us the six processes. Okay. So the book is called Be Mighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the subtitle, which of course there are always these very long subtitles <laughs> is um, a woman's guide to liberation from anxiety, worry, and stress using mindfulness and acceptance. So it's an act book for women, basically. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I read the book. It's fabulous. Um, I'll definitely link to it in the notes to this podcast. Um, it's a great one. Um, I actually, right now, if people go to my website, which is just my name, Jill, stoddard.com. You can sign up to have the first three chapters emailed to you for free because, you know, that I I made a social media post recently where I posted a couple of positive reviews, but I also posted my two worst reviews because I want, well, it felt very vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. people I think appreciated the human part of that. But the reason I did it is that this book isn't for everyone. Um, And so, you know, if you get the first three chapters, you can read that part for free. And if the casual tone or my voice isn't your thing, you know, you can even email me and I'll give you some suggestions for other books that might be more your speed. Mm -hmm. But if you like it and it speaks to you, you know, it's kind of a little test drive before you buy the whole thing. And if people order it from my website, I send a free journal along with the book and I can sign it and everything too. Awesome. But I, I think that's you embodying, like you said, I live act. Like what you just said is, is, is so is in that spirit, right? It's like my values, my voice, my life, and it may or may not resonate with everyone. And that's okay. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I'm living my life in, in my way and the way that I, that that is in line with my values. So I think that really just embodies that. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. That's the intention. I, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell us about some of the processes or processes, if you will, um, of act and, and how you talk about them in the book. Maybe that's a good place to start. I know that's a broad question. Um, yeah, no, that's, that is easy to answer it. My, I'll try not to be too wordy and just give it to you in a short snippet, but, um, you know, let's start with values because I think that's always the nicest place to start. And and I I talk in the book about keeping your why close by. And the reason I like to start with values is if you're going to start making changes in your life that involve letting yourself feel uncomfortable feelings, 
you probably want to have a dang good reason for it. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Otherwise you might be quitting before you start. And so the values, like I said, this is one of the six core processes is really getting clear on what your values are. So what are the domains of life that are important to you in terms of friends, family, career? And then underneath that, how do you want to show up in the world? What are the things you want to be doing or not doing? And how do you want to do those? What are the qualities that you want to embody as you do that? And of course, um, I shouldn't say, of course, people don't know this. There are a number of different exercises that are used to facilitate getting clear on what those values are. Is there one that you love? Because I've come across that too, because I, I do a lot of values work. I a hundred percent agree. If we're going to do the hard work, right. Of living with anxiety, right. Living well with anxiety or or other big emotions, you've got to have a why, right. What are some of your favorite values exercises? I think the one I like most, probably because it's the one that I find the most helpful is just thinking about who your heroes are. Mm. So if you think about any person and it can be someone, you know, or it can be a fictional character, it can be anyone who embodies the kind of qualities that really characterize the kind of person you want to be. So for me, I always give the example of Oprah. She's uh, like imp- I hero. just thought that just popped up into my head. She's <laughs> the best, right? Yes, yeah. And so for me, the reason Oprah's my shiro is because she has endured throughout her life abuse, sexism, racism, poverty. I mean, you name it. She has run into every obstacle. She has persevered through all of it. Um, And as far as I know, you know, she uses her powers for good to make Mm -hmm. the world a better place. And then in addition to that, she's someone who's very publicly struggled with her weight, right? But she's never let it stop her. And that's a struggle that really personally resonates with me. And so Mm -hmm. when I think about all those qualities about Oprah, that tells me a little bit about the the way I want to go about making choices. How can I persevere even when I'm faced with an obstacle? How can I know that I'm more than my body and my weight and keep striving to be better even as I struggle with that, you know, that inner critic about my body. Make sense? Yes. I have the biggest smile on my face right now uh, because I'm just (laughs) like, yes, like I have chills that resonates so much with me. And I love that you use the word Shiro. I love that. That's my (laughs) Shihiro. And and that's who I would pick too. So great. So we start with... with uh, that's such a better and more simple way in my opinion to do this exercise or actually a practical way to do it um opposed to a lot of the in practice we use some of the value sorting cards and things like that which are cool but right now with everything being virtual and us unable to do some of those like hands-on things that we used to what a cool thing just envision or who your who you admire who your heroes might be and what Mm -hmm. qualities they have And importantly, you don't have to like every single thing about the person. So if you're having trouble thinking of someone who's like perfect, they don't have to be, you know, they can have certain qualities like, oh, I, you know, this person, I don't know, this person's kind of a jerk, but they're Mm -hmm. really ambitious. And I like that quality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to just pick out certain qualities. Okay. Um, The other one I like that's that I think is a good kind of quick and dirty go-to that doesn't require you to like sit down and really think and write things out like you might if you're doing the hero's exercise is to think about an epitaph you would want on your gravestone. Like, Mm -hmm. would you want your gravestone to say, here lies Caitlin. She was really good at staying in the comfort zone Mm -hmm. and never taking risks so that she couldn't fail. 
Nope. Right. Yeah. Or something else that's like, you know, here lies Caitlin. She always went for it and played big, even when she felt like an imposter and had tons of self-doubt. Yes, 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 yes. That is such a meaningful exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It hits home, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, what do you want to be about at the end of the day? Like, what do you want to be said about the way Mm -hmm. you chose to live your life if you had to sum it up in just one little sentence like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I say this a lot to, you know, in the form of social media and my podcast and to my clients, it's like, you're so busy worrying. You're so busy worrying, right. That you're not actually living right. Or you're sorry, let me rephrase Mm -hmm. that. You're so worried about dying that you're not actually living. Yeah. Right. And, and not in a shame way, but like, that's just true. So if we think about what the purpose of our worry is, it's to, it's, it's to keep us in our mind, to keep us safe and keep us whatever productive. And, and it comes at the cost of us oftentimes living in a way that isn't in line with our values or staying small. So, okay. So that's, yeah. yeah. And why don't I like, while you're talking about worry, I'll just kind of pick up one of the other core processes from there, which is diffusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is basically how to change your relationship to those kinds of worries so that they don't limit your life the way that you're talking about. Um, And, you know, the difference, I'm sure you've had a number of of guests and topics around cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And the main difference between CBT and ACT is that in CBT, people are learning to change the content of those worries. Mm -hmm. Whereas in ACT, it's about changing our relationship to the thoughts and feelings. Yes. This is why I'm leaning more towards ACT in in my practice these days, because that resonates so much more. Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, if you are able to change a thought into something that is you find more adaptive in so far as it helps you to live your values, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's that so many people will report feeling like they're chasing this moving target and they're actually giving their thoughts and worries more power, Mm. right? By constantly focusing on them and battling them and, and then feeling like a failure when they're unable Right. Like how can I balance this thought out? How can I think of this differently? Which is a super powerful tool, but absolutely it's not always effective. Yeah. So diffusion. Right. Right. And so this is being able to step back, observe your thoughts and not get hooked by them. Mm. And the metaphor that I like to use for that is, um, thinking about a puppet on a string. So if you imagine yourself as a marionette and your inner critic, your thoughts, your worries as like the crossbars up at the top, you know, those bars are frequently controlling the movements of your hands and your feet and your mouth. And what diffusion is, is cutting the strings. Mm. And the reason I like that metaphor is if you cut the strings, the bars don't go away. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing we if we are going to be living human beings, we are having thoughts every minute of every day. Absolutely. And even if you're a master meditator, you're probably only getting short snippets of time where your mind is actually somewhat blank. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the crossbars will always be there. But when you cut the strings, you can have the thoughts and be aware that they're hovering up there. But you can choose how you're going to move your hands and your feet and your mouth based on your values. And if those thoughts are helping you move toward your values, like, uh, I mean, silly example, but let's say I have the thought, 
my mortgage is due tomorrow <laughs> and I care about keeping a roof over my family's head, then that's right. a thought I want to listen to, right? Yeah. And like pay my bills. So we're not saying like all thoughts are bad. No. But if I have a thought that says like, who do you think you are? You don't belong on this podcast. You have nothing important to say. When my values lie around disseminating this information to as many people as possible, then that's a thought I want to notice and acknowledge like, thank you, mind. I know you're just trying to protect me from potentially messing everything up, Yes, but I'm going to go ahead and choose to do this anyway, no matter how loud you get. Yes. I talk about this. I just finished creating a learning to live well with anxiety course. Um, and yes. I, I talk about this idea of gaining space from your thoughts, right. And allowing your thoughts to be a passenger, but not in the driver's seat of your life. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great metaphor. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, you know, and, um, kind of reminds me of what you're saying too, Dr. Reed Wilson's work of, um, signal versus noise. And yes. so the, the mortgage one, right. That's a perfect example. Oh, that's a signal. That's that's something I can do. That's a thought that I can act on and do something about the noisy stuff that I'm not good enough, right? I'm an imposter. What, what do I have to say that? Why should I have a podcast? All that stuff that goes on, right? That's the noisy stuff that we get to exactly. say, okay, I'm going to move forward because this matters to me, even with exactly. that chatter. Yep, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I love Reed Wilson. He's awesome. Isn't he the greatest? He was on <laughs> yeah. my podcast and I was like, I I was like so nervous. I was such a dork. I was like, oh, and everyone, I was like, I, I told my husband, I'm like, I had Dr. Reed Wilson on my podcast and like, I was so nervous and he like, <laughs> he like looked him up. He thought it was going to be some like, I don't know what he thought, but he was like, <laughs> uh, and um and he was like, he's like, you're nervous. I was like, you don't understand in our world. He is like an anxiety right. master. It was so funny. Right. He's famous in our world. He might yeah. not be famous in a non-mental yeah. health My world. Like, who's yeah. this dude? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's so cute. It's too funny. Anyway. Okay. So diffusion. Yes. A big act tool, but I love the way that you talk about it in your book. Um, and so anything else about diffusion that you think is important for people to know or... I mean, just that there are so many different ways to learn how to step back, separate, become an observer of those thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, and you can try out all sorts of different things and find the one that works for you, whether yeah. it's through metaphors like signal noise and puppets or whether it's through more active exercises. Like meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's a bunch of different ones in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you can see how like this is one of the tools that's aimed at um, improving psychological flexibility because what we're trying to do is to be able to have thoughts and still move forward with values. Yes, because that rigidity is where we all get stuck, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Listening to thoughts, getting hooked by them. And then, you know, the other big culprit is experiential avoidance, which is the opposite of psychological flexibility, which is all that stuff we do to try to feel better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a big idea behind ACT is that it's not your anxiety or panic or worry or stress or sadness or dread. You know, these are not really what the, pro these are not the problem. The problem That's just is life. Stuff yeah. That's just life. That's mm -hmm. right. Like, that's just part of the deal. Like, we literally come out of the womb screaming in pain. And if mm -hmm. we're not, there's <laughs> it means something is wrong, right? right? So that's just part of the deal. But it's everything we do to try to stuff all of that away and not experience it that is actually what keeps us stuck. Mm. And so the key is not having to 
control the feelings. It's to change up the strategies so that instead we're practicing willingness. Like I can make space for this discomfort in the service of moving forward with values. And so that core process and act is called acceptance. That's where the acceptance and acceptance and commitment therapy comes from, or also called willingness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I love to do that I think is really fun, you know, when we do exposure therapy, if somebody is say afraid of spiders, right. I've talked a lot about exposure therapy on this uh, podcast. <laughs> it's, it's magical. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite things to do. And exposure is a part of act. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're engaging in what's called committed action, so that's another of the six core processes, which is basically just the walking the walk. You've identified your values. Now, what are you going to go do about it? And I action, love that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, how am I going to put this into practice? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Oh, shoot. I just totally lost my train of thought. Hold on. Give me a second. You said when we do when we do exposures. Yep. One thing we love to do is. Oh, yeah. Spiders. Okay. Um, So so exposure is a part of committed action in act. It's not unique to cognitive behavioral therapy. the reasoning behind it is a little different. Um, and it's really about moving toward things that matter to you. It has a lot more connection to values. Mm-hmm. And um, opposed to what? Opposed to, to well, getting like used early, to it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like early exposure was about mm-hmm. habituation and getting used to it. And the purpose of exposure is to make the anxiety go away or go down. And that's uh-huh. not the purpose and act, it's a byproduct, right? Yes. So when we're doing exposure, we might start out, if you have a fear of spiders, with like looking at a cartoon spider and then looking at a video and kind of working our way up. And the research shows you don't have to do it that way for it to be effective, but you get good buy-in from clients if you start easy and they gain some mastery and you move up. So the reason I bring that up, going back to willingness, is one of the ways I like to encourage people to practice willingness in like a cartoon spider first step sort of way, Mm -hmm. and listeners can actually do this right now, is like, let's say you're wearing a watch or a bracelet. You know, take your watch off of whatever hand it's on and put it on the other hand. And you'll notice it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. You'll, You'll notice a strong urge to put it back. And you can practice willingness toward those feelings. Mm -hmm. Like you can notice that your arm feels heavier when you put your watch on the other hand. You can open up and make space for that urge to move it back and still choose not to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this has nothing to do with values generally, which hand your watch is on. But it's a way to just practice kind of building that psychological flexibility strengthening those muscles of like, okay, I can sit with this Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And if you think about how much we do um, in a routine way, like when you brush your teeth, you probably do, you know, bottom left, top left, bottom right, top right, Right. whatever your order is, it's the same every time. Right. Same with putting your pants on and the way you take a shower. So you can switch up any of those routines and rituals, and it will feel awkward and uncomfortable. And it's a great way to practice will. That is such a practice. I'm all about practical ways to help people do this because it's such a um, foreign concept at first, right? Our whole life, uh, we were, well, not all of us, but a lot of us were taught to avoid, you know, difficult emotions, difficult 
experiences. So to actually ask people to welcome and, and move towards them at first, it's just like, what, like, what do you want me to do? Right. It seems crazy. So I love this idea of doing something small to sort of like imagining it, like you're going to the gym, you're going to start small, right. You're going to start with lower weights. And I think of this switching the watch to the other hand as sort of a lower weight exercise, if you will. It's getting those, um, getting those muscles ready to do the bigger work. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's right. And then there's only two other processes. One is mindfulness. Okay. um, Or I should say it's actually technically it's present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of mindfulness in, in ACT is really just about kind of creating a greater space from where choice can be made. So we do so much on autopilot. Like I feel something uncomfortable and I just react in a way to try to move away from that discomfort. And what present moment awareness does is to create, well, greater awareness of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your urges are. Um, because, you know, you can't change anything if you don't have awareness. And I, I always joke, I'm not a nail biter, but once in a while I bite my nails and I literally look down and I'm like, where did all my nails go? Mm-hmm. Like, I do it so completely out of awareness that if I ever want to change that habit, I first and foremost have to become aware. Right. 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 So that's the role that that present moment awareness plays in act. It's not about relaxing or anything like that. It's really just the awareness so that you have space from where a new psychologically flexible choice can be made. Okay. And then the final one is self as context or um also called the observing self. And this is similar to diffusion. Um, But it's really recognizing stories about the self, like these I am statements, like I am depressed, Mm. or even I am nice. Mm -hmm. And that when we live our lives dictated by these narratives, that doesn't always move us in the direction of our values. Yes, yes. As one of my sheroes, Brene Brown says, the story I'm telling myself is, right? Yes. What's the story we're telling ourselves? And we have these narratives that we've been telling ourselves for a long time. So this is to help us consider, notice those narratives, and then I imagine shift and change. So tell us more about that. Yeah, that's right. And to really recognize that while I have this narrative, I have thoughts, I have feelings, I am also separate from them, that there is this like self that kind of transcends the stories and the thoughts and the feelings. And to be able to make contact with that observing space where I can have those thoughts and feelings be separate from them. And again, now be in a space where I can make choices Mm. that are based on values rather than me just being that puppet on a string um, where all my choices are being dictated by the thoughts, the feelings, the narratives, the self stories, et cetera. Right. So I get to be who I want to be, who I really am at my core, not who I was told I was or who I, who I needed to be. This is exactly right. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly right. And I use the example of I am nice because I think we... Mm, we, Such a good one for for us women too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That like, it's easy to go, oh, I am a failure. I, you know, and we sort of intellectually know that those are self-limiting beliefs. But even the thought... I am nice. I am cooperative. I, you know, this can lead to 
behavior that means like I always have to be nice, even if that's not what is called for in a particular context or situation. So to be able to separate from all those stories and make a choice, like a conscious, deliberate choice, not to just be autopilot driven by those stories is is really what we're talking about here. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about that. So let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that is such a huge... um, a a huge thing for us, like I said, especially as women is, is, you know, kind of, um, getting stuck on these, what I call limiting beliefs, right. Or these stories that we tell ourselves, um, how the, I am nice, or I am cooperative, or I need to sort of be the responsible one. How do you see that? Um, what opens up for women in your practice or in the work that you've done when that starts to shift and change, what does that look like? So in this practice. is a, yeah, this is a really interesting question because it's actually very complicated. And, mm-hmm. and the reason is, you know, I actually just finished interviewing Alicia Menendez, who mm-hmm. is an anchor for MSNBC, and she wrote a book called The Likeability so cool. Trap. Mm-hmm. And I am like obsessed with this book. Um, that interview comes out in September if people want to listen to a much more in-depth conversation about this. But, you know, the gist is the research shows that in order for women to succeed, they have to be likable. But the more success we get, the less we're seen as likable. And the same goes for competence. So the more we're seen as competent, the less we're seen as likable. And the Mm. more likable we're seen, the less competent we're seen. And so it is very difficult for women. It's a trap. (laughs) It's a trap. And that's why she titled it the likability trap. Because, (laughs) right? Because there are true penalties Mm -hmm. for not being likable. And Mm. so, and then we also get this message about like, just be authentic and just get out there and put yourself out there and be the real you. Be you. Be you. But if that person is not likable, there are penalties for that. So it's a really complicated question. Um, I think that for me, what I have found to be the most helpful um, and what I encourage my female clients who struggle with these things um, to do is that there's a lot of power in numbers. So Mm -hmm. for example, um, I think about like, think about what happened with say Anita Hill or Christine Blasey Ford, you know, they were sort of like fighting this battle on their own and there were serious consequences for them for being brave and standing up in the way that they did. Um, But when you look at the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. and you look at the Time's Up movement, you know, there's, there's a lot of change happening because of groups of women coming together And I know in my own personal experience, it's been exactly the same thing. So, Mm. you know, my podcast, it's four of us women are co-hosts. I have a writing group. I belong to two women's special interest groups in the professional organizations that I'm part of. And I just know that it is because of those groups where I get my courage to like to be ambitious and and to, for example, like, um, you know, when you have a book, you have to be out in the world posting things on social media. And it's really uncomfortable. It's vulnerable vulnerable Mm -hmm. and women are taught to be humble, to not brag, to not be quote unquote aggressive. So it's really uncomfortable. Challenging Um, all sorts of, right, beliefs that we've had. Beliefs and biases. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And there's a penalty. People don't like it. There's a bias and there's a likability penalty. 
Um, and also it needs to be done and it's expected by your publisher. Um, and what I found is that having women in my corner supporting me and cheerleading and liking those posts and, you know, basically saying go for it really makes it easier to walk that walk. Um, I ran for yeah. a board position in my in my professional organization and didn't get it the first time. And it was only because of those women encouraging me to run again the next year that I did. And I got it that time. Yes. It's something that's really important to me. So that would kind of be my number one recommendation is find community that that lifts you up. That like when yes. women raise up other women this is where the magic happens, but you have to step out of your comfort zone and be willing to have some of that discomfort and, and risk the potential penalties that do exist. That's your being mighty, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, um, kind of my last thought on that um, is that so many things, but for me in my own life, um, this is, this is definitely a struggle, right? As I started this podcast, maybe two years ago, I've been expanding out of my practice into doing more creative things and building the virtual community. And I want to write a book, right? Even just saying that I'm like, ah, I want to write a book, you know, and um, it feels so good yet challenges me every day. And it's not the people I had to sort of build my own. Um, I love one of my mentors, Elise Snipes, who also has a podcast that I talk about a lot on here called trailer cast. If you haven't checked it out, it's so good. She's a therapist. Um, she, she says, you know, if there's nobody at the table, like you need to create your own table. Right. And that gave me so much freedom is when I created my own table of like-minded women, women who are entrepreneurs, women who are doing things a little, a little bit different. Now you're at that table with me, right? It's like, Oh, I get to look to these women that I find on social media or that I connect with through, um, my career. And I look to them to lift me up and to give me encouragement. Whereas the people in my life who I'm closest with, who I love in so many reasons, don't for, for whatever reason, don't necessarily understand what it is I'm doing. Therefore they don't maybe unintentionally don't always support me in the way that I need to. So I've stopped what I'm trying to say here in a really long winded way is I've stopped looking to them for that kind of support and started going outside, right, of my inner circle yes. to look to these women that are doing things similar so that I don't have to ask for things from people that that don't necessarily, like, know how to give them to me or need to give them to me. Does that make sense? 100%. And I am so with you. I Like, it, I have the exact same mm. experience, exact yeah. same experience. And it was really painful, hurtful, it disappointing. Is, it is painful. Mm-hmm. Right? To have, you know, very close family members, like, not read your book that you've put all your blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> right. into for years or not listen to your podcast interviews or whatever. Right. Um, and you're exactly right. Like, you can find that in a different community. Mm-hmm. And, and there's still even, love those people. And but still just... love those people. That's just not, that's just not, that need yeah. is not going to be met by them. Right. Um, and, you know, there's even research that shows like when um, when black people go to historically black colleges, when women go to women's colleges, like when they're with like minded people and mm-hmm. have a sense of community, research shows they're more likely to go after 
um, like high level risky yes. challenges I that they want to pursue and to, they're more likely to succeed. Yes. Um, so this isn't just my idea. Like this is backed by this science, backed like find research. your community. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and that answer is just because I'm like, as you're saying it, I'm like, oh yes, this is what I'm finally doing in my own life that I resisted doing for so long. Um, because maybe I didn't know there there, it was an option, right? Um, and and now I do, and I'm so grateful for that, and for women like you who are putting the message out there um, around how to do this and how to implement these, especially you know, evidence based tools to make your life big and bold and everything that you want it to be with struggle, right? That's the right. whole thing. Struggle yeah, is is exactly inevitable. Right. Yeah. Okay, Jill, it's been so awesome having you on. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, tell us, okay, where can our listeners find you and your book? Tell us all the things. Sure. So you can pretty much find everything I do on my website at jillstoddard.com. My book is there. My blogs are there, which are free. Um, And then all my social media handles are there too. So I won't give those to you here because they're all slightly different and it's obnoxious to go through them all. (laughs) Well, tell us your Instagram handle. I would love to be able to find you on Instagram. Instagram, My Instagram is Jill A. Stoddard. Okay. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, They're all just slightly different. Slightly different. I know. I know the struggle. (laughs) Good. Okay. So JillStoddard.com where where listeners can find your awesome book, um, can download it and listen to it. I know as a busy mom. I listen to everything. I don't have time anymore. I wish to sit down with the book, but uh, maybe someday, right? When Zoom school isn't a thing. Right. I know. I was so happy when it was made into an audiobook because not all psychology books are made into audiobooks. Yes. So really yes. excited that they chose to do that. Yes. Okay. I don't read it. Someone else, an actress reads it, but it is available in audio. Awesome. Yes. And that's how I listen to it. Um, So it makes things more accessible. Can you leave us with um, anything else that you want to say, kind of like a inspirational message or something that you want to say to women who are struggling right now in these really challenging times with anxiety? Yeah. um, I think the, think about the word moment right? Mm -hmm. M-O-M-E-N-T. And the word mom is in there, Mm. as is the word me right in the middle. Mm. So the way I like to think right now when things feel extremely overwhelming and like the thought of big future-oriented goals and plans is like not even on the radar, what I like to think about, I check in with myself a hundred times a day, is who is the me I want to be in this one moment? Because that's all I got, right? Or who is the mom I want to be? in this one moment. And that's about values. What's the quality I want to embody, even if I'm stressed or anxious or worried? How do I want to show up? And if you can just remember that one word, right, that word moment and the words inside of it, it's that quick reminder, like we always have a choice. And if we screw it up this moment, we're going to (laughs) have another moment where we get to make a different decision. Grace, right? We get to extend grace. Oh, I have chills just thinking about that. I'm definitely going to use that as I go about my day of trying to continue managing Zoom school and and all the things. So so thank you so, so much for being here. And it was a pleasure to have you on. And hopefully we get to talk again soon. I would love that. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 
thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in doing your own mental and emotional health work in a way that's effective, affordable, and a little bit different than traditional therapy, check out the virtual community I've created. The virtual community is hosted on Mighty Networks and it's called Living Well with Caitlin. In that community, you can access courses that I've created and workshops. You can also be in connection with other women who are going through similar things. Each week, I post new content, videos, articles, audio, things that you can do to work on your struggles with things like anxiety, the mental load of motherhood, and even OCD. If you're looking to work on those specific things or just your general mental and emotional health, join me. I'd love to have you there. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at hello at livingwellwithcaitlin.com. Cheers.